This is the Ed Marlin Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm excited today because last week you all heard sort of the more conservative perspective on the economy and on money with one of President Trump's advisors, uh, Stephen Moore. And today I'm really blessed to have to my, my side here Austin Goolsby. And Austin was a member of Barack Obama's cabinet, was also the 26th chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And there's a whole bunch of other things I could do to introduce him. But the reason I wanted Austin on the show is because I've been a fan of your work for so long some of the ways you think and the way you handle yourself in the various interviews I've seen. So thanks for being here today. Ed, thank you. It's a real thrill for me to, to get to meet you in person. And, and, and likewise. And we are at the University of Chicago, by the way, which is one of the most beautiful campuses I've ever seen in my life. So I, I really appreciate it's you. It's a great here. place. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but if it's for you, it's it's. Yeah. Well, it, it, it certainly like w- it. wouldn't have been for me with my grades or my <laughs> SAT scores. By the way, Austin's a Yale undergrad, Yale master's, and MIT <laughs> PhD. So we're on the pretty much even footing intellectually here today, Austin. You and I. <laughs> In any event, I'm not endearing myself to my audience with these interviews because I'm going to take the devil's advocate position in yeah, both interviews, right? Yeah. So with Stephen, I sort of took the more, I guess, more liberal con- kind of perspective on the economy and challenged him. And I'm going to do more of the conservative viewpoint with you today as I ask questions. So that's let, fair. let's start out with the elephant that's in the room, which we're hearing a lot about lately, which is socialism versus capitalism. Is this great debate that we keep hearing. First, do you consider yourself a socialist or a capitalist, and how do you feel about the debate that's happening? Uh, 100% capitalist. I'm a free market economics professor at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So uh, socialism doesn't work, Mm -hmm. and I found the debate a little frustrating. It's true, Bernie Sanders is a self-professed socialist. Mm -hmm. I don't think if you look at the other... Democratic candidates, my point of view has been being for Social Security and Medicare paid for by mm-hmm. payroll taxes, that doesn't make you socialist. Okay. Ha- saying you think tax rates on high-income people should be higher or should go back to what they were you know, in some previous period, that's not really socialism. Okay. Um, Can I challenge that on a yeah, couple of them? Yeah, sure. So Elizabeth Warren has this wealth tax at 2%. That seems like redistribution of assets to me, which is sort of a socialist no, but concept. Th- th- socialism, as, as I conceive it, mm-hmm. the thing that doesn't work mm-hmm. is the government runs the means of production. Okay. And, and that, I think, is a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. And if you look around the world where the government runs industries, takes over the industries, and we don't have incentives or markets... You got problems. Okay. Tax rates, you know, whether it's wealth tax, U.S. hasn't, other than property taxes, mm-hmm. we haven't gone that far down the mm-hmm. road of wealth taxes. I could see why if you have wealth, you don't like to pay a wealth tax, just mm-hmm. like if you have income, you don't like to pay income tax. Mm-hmm. If you have, if you buy things, you don't like to pay sales tax. Well, I have But wealth. that's not really socialism. Okay. That's not socialism. Fair enough. So let's, let's just use that idea then okay, in and of fine. itself as it stands on its own. I'm curious how you feel about that because I, uh, I am wealthy, okay. but I also, well, I'm not going to tip my hand where I land politically, but I feel like that's confiscation of assets. I mean, that's something you've already paid income tax on or capital gains tax on. It's an asset of your family. And then secondly, how the heck do you even, how do you fight, you know, hunt down people's paintings and how, how would that even yeah, work look, in that, application? That, now, in the, in Europe, where there are a lot of countries that have had wealth taxes, it foundered on these um, problems like this. Mm-hmm. Um, what the 
Warren, I, I haven't been advisor to Warren, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm not right. a total expert on their on the plan. But theirs only starts at fifty million dollars. So mm -hmm. if you have fifty million dollars, you pay one dollar of mm -hmm. of wealth tax. I think it's not unlike property tax, right. and you know when you pay property taxes on your on your houses, they still they have to value what's the value of your property. I'm just saying, in a way, I guess my question would be, what did you think was going to happen mm -hmm. if Donald Trump's elected cuts taxes for big corporations and high income people by two trillion dollars, mm -hmm. promising it's going to bring down manna from heaven? Right. And it basically doesn't. Okay. And it's the most unpopular tax cut in the history of American polling because people look out and they're like, we just gave $2 trillion for a thing that didn't do a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's completely natural that there would be a blowback okay. where people would say, let's go raise tax on high income people back again because right. we just cut them so right. much and it didn't do anything. I agree with you, by the way. I do think that's part of the, the ebb and flow. Having said that, though, a guy like Stephen Moore would say, well, wait a minute, it's working incredibly. We've got unemployment lower than it's ever been. There's 7 million unfilled jobs in the country. Wage growth is finally, the thing that I looked at, I've always felt whether it's under President Obama, even all the way back to Reagan, is there's just been no wage growth. I mean, the quality of life for most people in the middle hasn't gone so yeah, it's good. Been the last squeezed, year. It's been right. squeezed. Now, a guy like Moore says, well, hey, unemployment's low, obviously crazy low. Um, there's 7 million unfilled jobs. Wage growth has started to tick back up. GDP's back up. What's so bad about what we did? Well, let's just back and unpack each okay. of those. Okay. And Steve Moore has said that, mm -hmm. and the administration has tried to say, oh, no, it was everything that we mm -hmm. expected. I think it's it's tough. If you just sit down with the data, yep. it's not true. You can take their what they've predicted, here's what the tax cut will do, mm -hmm. that it will pay for itself, right. that it will generate massive business investment, that it will lead to family incomes to go up $4,000 each, mm -hmm. each family. The unemployment rate is very low, mm -hmm. and it has been improving for nine straight years. And if you look at job sure. growth, it's just a straight line of improvement. And that's the strongest part of the economy. There's no doubt about it. It's a very strong job market. Consumers look pretty confident. Mm -hmm. Wage growth starts to tick up in 2016. It's up a bit in 2017. Mm -hmm. 2018, mm -hmm. pretty good year. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's the best part of the economy. It didn't generate its own revenue. Corporate tax revenue is more than $100 billion lower than what it was projected to be before they cut taxes. Okay, Stephen said, told me tax revenues were at their all-time high. It, but You're saying that's overall tax revenue, not yeah, corporate tax It's overall tax, tax revenue, okay. and Stephen, who is a guy that I personally right. get along with very well, and, and, and we've, we've debated many mm -hmm. times, he is always prone mm -hmm. to take nominal money, mm -hmm. that is, don't account for inflation, just there's economic growth, mm -hmm. and say, see, look, revenue went up. Right. So that's why I wanted to start us with, right before they pass the tax cut, mm -hmm. the Congressional Budget Office makes a projection mm -hmm. of here's how much tax revenue is going to go up yeah. over the next five years. Right. We're coming in way below where it was supposed to be. And where it's where we're failing is on exactly the spot where they said it was going to pay for itself. That is corporate revenues way below what was expected, and business investment, which was supposed to be right. the the massive 
thing that this was going to do. It's nowhere. It's stock it's buybacks. It's actually stock right. buybacks. Right. And so you can see why people would be frustrated. Now, that doesn't that doesn't automatically mean, oh, well, then it should be a 2% wealth tax on over $50 million. Fine. Okay. But again, I go back to if you try a $2 trillion thing that basically doesn't do what you promised, mm-hmm. you can't really be surprised when people come back and they're like, let's raise taxes $2 trillion. Yeah, because I, I am uh, not a corporation. I'm an individual. Yeah. I actually pay a little yeah. bit more in Trump's plan than I paid prior. Is that right? Because well, you're in California. I'm in California, yeah. so I don't get to deduct my yeah. fa- my estate income tax or property yeah. tax. So that's changed. But let's talk about that point for a minute. Then I want to talk about the overall yeah. economy and kind of go a little sure. more basic. But having said that... I, do, I, uh, I agree with you. The revenues aren't what they said. They said it would pay for itself. It hasn't paid for itself. It hasn't even come close to doing that. But GDP's been pretty good. It's grown. It's obviously a much stronger recovery than yours was no, with the president. See, uh, go look at the GDP numbers. Okay. The, the, the much heralded, oh, well, Obama is the only president to ever not hit 3% growth. Mm-hmm. Actually, there are now two presidents who have not hit 3% growth. Mm-hmm. It's barely been any higher than it was under Obama. Okay. Post the recession, so the mm-hmm. you, you right. can't count the the recession, and now the projections for the second half of this year are literally in the one percent. Now, I I will say I do not attribute that to President Trump. So if the economy deteriorates or even goes into recession, we can mm-hmm. talk about what would be the dangers yes. of recession and what would be the signals to look out for. Yes, that's not Donald Trump's fault. Okay. And I, when I was in the White House, I used to say when we'd get good news, I'd say mm-hmm. 90% of what happens in the economy has nothing to do with right. Washington. Right. And so when it was good or it was bad, I feel like I have some credibility yes. to say I think so. for the best parts of the economy, it feels like the Trump White House is trying to say, we did that. Mm-hmm. And for anything that goes wrong, they're like, that has nothing to do with us. That's absolutely and, and true. you can't do that. That's true. I don't know that that wasn't true with President Obama either because he did inherit this mess. But before, I want to get out of the weeds a little bit. I just want to ask sure. you this corporate tax cut thing. Because prior to that, those corporate rates being cut, I thought it was almost kind of a bipartisan agreement that we needed to reduce corporate tax rates to be competitive in a global economy because our corporate Indeed, tax rates were I so said, much higher. You could have quoted me and okay. you just say, wait, didn't you say so that how, they needed to Then why come back they later did. and criticize that? No, we, because okay. I'm not. But my, my criticism is not that we cut the rate on the books. Okay. okay? The, the great paradox or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it mm-hmm. of the U.S. corporate tax system is we have the highest rate, we had the highest rate in the world, mm-hmm. and if you look at how much they actually pay, yep. it was no higher than average. And so you'd be like, how is that possible? How can we have this high? And it's because we had the goofiest system. We had a very narrow base and a high rate, which is the opposite of what you want. So what yeah. I always said, and what I thought there was bipartisan consensus on, was let's get rid of a lot of deductions mm-hmm. And lower the rate, but not cut the amount that corporations are paying by $2 trillion. Let's just try to cut the rate on the books so okay. it doesn't give these weird incentives. They took that on its, on it, and they kind of flipped it on its head. They were like, oh, you said we need to cut the rate. So we just okay. cut them and just run the bill up. Okay, fair enough. That's a nuance yeah. I'd not heard before, yeah. so that's fair. So let's talk about, um, there's something that frustrates me as someone who came from the middle that's now a top earner. Yeah. And I know I sound like I'm crying here, but <laughs> but one of the things that's frustrating, and by the way, it's yeah. why there's these blowbacks both ways, Yeah, 
is this concept that the rich don't pay their fair share. And what I mean by that is I'm not a corporation, but I am a top earner, right? And I looked at some data, and I just, I feel like, let's be real about who pays taxes in this country. Who really pays federal income taxes? The top 1%, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, but the top 1% earned 21% of the country's income and paid 38, almost 39% of the tax revenue. The top, hang on, and the top 1%, the top 1%, Paid a greater share of the tax revenue to the U.S. Treasury than the bottom ninety percent did combined of income tax. Correct. Well, that's what yes. we're talking about here. Is yeah, income tax. but the, the, the by the, the way, they also pay they, they pay more in they pay more in property tax. But they pay not more in payroll sales tax and more in sales tax. Mm, well, they're, they're, not, and not as a share of their income. But so the the only yes, that's true about income tax. But the the big taxes paid by the middle class. Um, they pay more in payroll tax than they pay in income tax. Okay. And so the the Romney argument that like, ah, there's 47% of people who don't pay any income tax. Yes. So they're living off the state. That's totally misleading because that's not counting the main taxes that they're paying as tax. Okay. You see what I mean? I do. I'm following you. And so, so the once we add the fair share, I agree with you. Now we're... Now we're into a non, that's not an economic thing. Mm-hmm. There is no economic de- definition of what is a fair share. Right. And so now we're just explicitly in the political sphere. Right. And some people are like, no, I think they pay enough. And other people are like, no, I don't think they, when I tell, they pay more. When I tell my friends so, that are in the middle who want to yeah. get to the top earning brackets, when I yeah. tell them what I actually pay in income tax between federal and state, especially in California, they tell me they think, wow! I, they had no idea that, that a guy like me. That I'm over fifty percent in, in between. Is that right? But sure. now the thing is, I can tell from that mm-hmm. that most of your money mm-hmm. comes from ordinary direct income. earnings, it ordinary does. earnings. It does. And you live in California, Correct. so you got a high, you right. know, a high tax from that. Now, a lot of the very highest income, highest wealth people in the country. That's not true. They're capital gains. They got capital gains. Right. They have other forms of income. So then they, so, so then you get into this, you get into these arguments about. Which lands us, I think, I'm going to interrupt you, yeah. which lands us where people think, you know what, I, this socialism idea may be a good idea. And <laughs> but if it, 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 you're back. It's not socialism to say that, that we should have higher tax rates. I'm with you on that. I'll, yeah. I'll acknowledge that. Whether I completely agree with that or not, I don't know, but I, I, I'll give you yeah. that. But I think you would agree with me that your party has been is starting to be hijacked by a pretty large segment of people who at least think they believe in socialism. It may not even be... For the sure, po- Bernie is there. He's, he okay. says, I would have argued, no, it's not as big as you think. It's been mischaracterized. But okay. I can't deny... Bernie Sanders says mm-hmm. he's a socialist. Mm-hmm. He criticized Elizabeth Warren publicly and said she believves in I markets, know. and I, I don't. And I know. I know. I know. Oh, man. So for, for, for sure... Bernie's folks don't like me, mm-hmm. and part of that dates back to 2016. He outlined a health plan that they somebody had scored it was going to cost $20 trillion. Mm-hmm. And they asked he, him how would they pay for it, and they had an economist who said, well, it will raise the growth rate of the country to 5.5%. Mm-hmm. So it not only would pay for itself, it would eliminate the national debt. And I wrote a letter with three other previous chairs of the Council of Economic Advisors where we said, don't, don't do this. Right. Like, okay. don't, don't. 
when they when the Republicans go for tax cuts, they do stuff like that, and mm. we all we're always out and saying like, wait a minute, that, that, that that's bogus. Right. So we said that to Bernie. My experience was Bernie's people do not take criticism very well. <laughs> well right. <laughs> but right. Uh, well, facts are funny things, right? Yeah. So you touched on something earlier that I'd like you to uh, speak on, which is, I asked Stephen this question, where is the economy? Do you feel like we're in danger of a recession? Because everyone listening to this wants to know this. They may not care that much about top earning taxes and some of the other things, but are we, what, what signs are you looking for and where are we at on the economy? Okay, super important. And look, I'm at, I teach at a business school. Mm-hmm. 90% of the economy has nothing to do with Washington. And 90% of what I think about uh, economics is not, is not about politics. So everything I'm going to say is I'm not Fair intending enough. it in any way as evaluation Fair. of the White House. Like I said, what, I, I am afraid. I think there is a pretty decent danger that over the next year mm-hmm. we could be facing recession. Mm-hmm. Not not from Donald Trump, not not from any policy, but the way I view it, if you take a step back and ask, since World War II, we've had 14 or 15 recessions, depending on how you want to count some of the, like the double dip recession. And a very small number of things have caused all of the recessions in the United States. The Fed either raising interest rates mm-hmm overly fast from what the economy can handle or keeping interest rates higher than the economy can handle is the major cause of recession in the United States. On that, we've gone through a long period, multiple years in a row, where the Fed has been over-optimistic mm-hmm. in its predictions of how well we'd be doing a year or two years from now. Mm-hmm. In a world like that, where the Fed, as I say, is kind of 36 quarters in a row, 36 times in a row wrong in the same direction, that's at least a yellow light that that could be a cause of recession. Two, asset bubbles popping, Mm -hmm. whether equity, the first internet bubble leads to 2001 recession, Mm -hmm. housing bubble popping leads to our last recession. I don't know if we're in a bubble, but the prices of a lot of things look pretty high. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you try to buy a house in Laguna, right. it seems expensive. Sure does. Um, yep. And so you at least got to give a yellow light to that. Third, oil prices have caused recessions. Mm-hmm. That's not as big of a danger. Oil prices yep. aren't up that much. And we became a big oil producer. producer. So, you know, at least part of the economy would do well mm-hmm. if that happened. And then fourth category I'll lump in, hasn't really caused recession in the U.S., but has caused recession outside the U.S., is major national policy action by the government. Okay, And in that one, I would say there's at least a yellow light of caution around escalating trade war between the two biggest economies on the planet. So three out of four are at least blinking. Yeah. And we're in the longest recovery in U.S. history. So we're, we're long in the almost, tooth, right. you know, in a way yeah. we're, we're due. So the strongest parts of the economy are the job market is very strong mm-hmm. and the consumers still quite confident mm-hmm. in consumer spending strong. The weaker parts, if you look at manufacturing, so if you look at, say, normally I would tell you, if you said, what should I look for? I would say, look if the, the yield curve inverts. Yep. That is, if long rates get to be below the short rate, yep. and then I would say, look at the most 
cyclically sensitive parts of the economy, mm -hmm. like manufacturing, durable goods, business okay. investment. Okay. Manufacturing might already be in a recession. And not just in the U.S., yeah. around, around the whole mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Manufacturing is kind of already in a recession. Consumer durable still looking pretty decent. Mm. Business investment looking kind of weak. So all of those, concern. I think, are, are points of concern. Mm -hmm. I think they're points of and concern. And that's a consensus, right? They, uh, most people that I've talked Is to. It? Yeah, well, oh, okay. it wasn't with Stephen. Yeah. Um, but it, with other people I've asked whom I respect, like yourself, and I respect Stephen too, but they, that is the consensus. And one of the yeah. other concerns I hear, and I want the audience to hear your thoughts on this too, is if we did slip into one yes. that perhaps may not be quite as deep necessarily as the last time, but it may be longer because there's not a whole lot the Fed could do mm. from where it is now, and that, that that's a concern I have. Mm. I think that's a good concern. Um, Meaning I, valid. I do, valid concern. I okay. think that's a valid concern on two grounds one fed toolbox is smaller or the, right. the, the runway shorter as they right. say normally the fed cuts cuts interest rates four percentage points mm -hmm. and you can't do that if the rate right. is not you know possible, less than four percent right. although i guess in europe now they got negative, negative rates, rates. Yeah, right. so right. um but but i think the short runway problem the second and i i even wrote a little thing about that in the uh new york times Often, one of the most powerful bits, economic bits of a Fed rate cut is the fact that there's pent-up demand. So mm -hmm. if the Fed cuts rates and it leads mortgage rates to go down, there's a, there's a mass of people who've been waiting. Ah, maybe if the rates come down a little, right. I'm going to refinance. I'm going to jump. We've had nine years of right. rock bottom rates. So if anybody was waiting for rates to come down, they already did it. That's right. You know, so, um, so I think that's a valid concern. Okay. Um, the other thing I will highlight is, and maybe it destroys my own credibility, but <laughs> economists are terrible, not just at predicting recessions, at predicting recessions that already happened. They're right. terrible at predicting. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so in 2001, I think that the recession began in April of 2001, okay. and in June of 2001, <laughs> they had a survey in the Wall Street Journal, and I believe only 7% of economists wow. thought we were in a recession. Wow. Okay, but the recession's been going, going. and it's almost done, mm -hmm. and they they didn't see it. Very so, interesting. So we only see recessions in the rear after view. the fact, They're in, in the, the rear, rear view. view mirror. You said earlier one of the four concerns was trade, and I was going to ask you yeah. about this anyways. Aren't you, isn't there a part of you that is glad that he, that President Trump is trying to do something about China this way with the trade with with our trade this issues way, with them? Not if you add the phrase this way. Okay. Um, I saw I saw Donald Trump say something to the effect of nobody's ever got uh, asked the Chinese to do anything, mm -hmm. and I'm finally am. That's not actually true. Okay. Okay. So if you looked if you look at the past history. One of the biggest confrontations, sources of friction or whatever with China that we had in the past was that they were constantly devaluing their currency. Mm -hmm. okay? And we got them to stop devaluing their currency. Mm -hmm. And the way we did that was, A, we had very specific demands, mm -hmm. and B, we got all our allies on the same page, right. and we went to them behind the scenes and said, look, we don't want to make a big public battle about it, mm -hmm. You're, but 
you're going to have to stop doing A, B, and C specific thing or else all of us are together going to come punish you. And right. they stopped. Okay. This approach that, that the administration has taken, which is let's try to publicly, publicly. humiliate mm-hmm. and confront China to get them to do what they want, that's not my my. That's not like I'm the world expert at negotiating with China. I was at the SNED meetings. I've talked to mm-hmm. the Chinese economic officials. Um, this is a recipe to get them to not do what we want mm. because they can't. If you're the head of China, it's not a democracy, but you, you got to answer to your own people right. too. You can't be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do everything Donald Trump said. And, and, you know, he's right, and, and I should be ashamed of myself. Right. Publicly kneel down, right. Pu- publicly kneel it's and do as I say. They right. won't do it. Right. And they're not, but A, we've, we've declared and threatened trade wars with all our allies, so they're not on board with our what we're doing, yeah. and we don't have any specific agenda. We're, we're saying we want them to stop violating intellectual property. Okay, how, what, like, mm-hmm. what do you want them to do? If you gave them a, mm-hmm. they, they think that they've been making concessions. Mm-hmm. They opened up their financial markets, which is a thing that we, the U.S., have been asking Wanted them to for. do. Right. And they're kind of like, well, if we do that, what will you do? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. So you don't like the, you like that it's being approached, but you don't like the nature in which we've done it. I kind of don't like the nature in which we've done it. Okay. I, so I don't object. I don't object to the approach that says, "Hey, we want to be tough on intellectual property in China." Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind, if you get tough on that, they probably will go back to devaluing their currency. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's okay. If you decide mm-hmm. one is more important than the other, okay. then just have a strategy about it. This mm-hmm. strikes me as as a lot of a lot of the people who want to cover for the president, Mm -hmm. if he does some things, some of the things that he does Mm -hmm. that you can agree with, they'll say, see, that was a good one. And then if he does something that's a mistake, they want to come up with a rationale. But but how's that any different than President Obama? That's what what people around presidents do. I don't know. I I I thought, or I at least tried Mm -hmm. to be more objective Mm -hmm. in it. In when I was in the administration, and certainly when I was out of the administration, mm-hmm. if they if they asked me what was a mistake that you made or mm-hmm. that the president made, I would try to think through and say, well, look, here are places where where we made mistakes. I haven't noticed any willingness to do that. Tell me the, one thing. Tell us all one thing about the President Obama that we might not know. Something about him and all your interactions with him that hmm. that you know maybe not people may not know about him about his personality, the way he thinks, anything like that? Um, I would say the popular view, in my I, I knew President Obama when he, Michelle was way more famous than he was okay. here at the university. She had a okay. major job at the university. Okay. He was my state senator, yep. you know, here in Hyde Park. And, uh, and my daughter... My oldest child is a daughter, and she's right between the age of of President Obama's daughters, and they were okay. all in the lab school. Okay. And um, so we had a bunch of common friends, and I knew him as the guy from the birthday parties. You know what Seriously. I mean? Seriously. Yeah. So he was teaching at the university, and he ran for the U.S. Senate. And that's when I first got involved with him then, right? I got involved with him then. And they called me, and they said, Kids, could you, uh, would you be willing to 
help on policy. And I was like, help Michelle Obama's husband? Are you kidding me? Of course <laughs> you I'll help. Yeah, so, so that was my so that was my <laughs> introduction. So I've, I feel like I've known him for a, for, for, for a while. Mm. Um, I would say the popular conception that he's not a guy who gets way low or way high, he's very even killed. That's, in my experience, pretty accurate. Okay. Um, I would say maybe is not as well understood. He's got a kind of an introverted side. Okay, so he's mm-hmm. a, he's amazing speaking, give mm-hmm. amazing speech, mm-hmm. you know, on the teleprompter yes. and the thing. But he's he's sort of a private guy. That's interesting. And and I heard I didn't I wasn't in the Clinton administration, but there were a bunch of people who were, and I would ask them, well, what's the difference? You know, is yeah. is it, does he manage the same? Mm-hmm. Well, like, what's the difference? And they said um, President Clinton was much more like he'd get to the residence and then he'd like he'd want to call you from the bathtub yeah. or whatever and be like, now let's <laughs> let's uh, tell me about this mortgage right. fund. Right. Obama's not like that. And the only puzzle, and I and I had this puzzle about him through the whole campaign too, is he's kind of got the personality of like a writer. Interesting. And how did a guy who's got a introverted yeah. writer side end up wanting to get into politics and run for president? Very interesting. I never really sorted that out in my mind. That's incredible. That's All the time you of, spent with him, even to this yeah, day. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. like, it's like a there's there's a. If, I don't know, to me, it feels like a yeah. little bit of contradiction. But, sure. But I, I feel, know. I appreciate the insight, and it, that doesn't surprise me, ironically. Really? I, only because a lot of the people that I know in my life that are incredible orators, actually, ironically, um, are introverted. Oh, really? I'm talking about whether they're a performer, a singer, a public yeah. speaker. I'm not in any way suggesting that I'm on anyone's level that way, but I'm also introverted, and I speak publicly. It's, it's surprising to me oh. when I meet people like and that. And you're introverted. Very much so. See, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have pegged yeah. that, but yeah. so, so then... Th- yeah. That gives me a that gives me a tool Puzzle. or something to analyze this Puzzle. a little different. So, if you had a criticism of him, what didn't get accomplished or could have when he was president? I asked uh, Stephen Moore this, and he gave me pretty transparent criticism of President Trump. If you had a criticism of the of, of President Obama, whether that be in something that you observed a decision or just something that didn't go far enough, you wish he would have got done. Anything like that? I, I could tell. I, I could do. We could. Do, I could take that two ways. Okay. One, I could tell you the thing that's like the most disappointing or heartbreaking to mm-hmm. me that 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 it didn't go mm-hmm. that way. Or we could get into details of you know where was what was some policy mistake that if you had it to do over, pick we could, one. We you, could pick do it. It you pick it. You pick it. The the most disappointing to me is that it through the campaign of. Starting 06, really, but all of 07, all of 08, we have a horrible financial crisis. We go into the thing. Obama really wanted to be a figure that was going to try to get us out of these horrible battle lines that had been developing at least since, you know, the end of the Clinton years. But, like, they had gotten worse over Bush. They had it, 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 You mean red, blue, dem? Red okay. and blue okay. and just fighting and just, okay. you know— it felt like every every policy, every mm. election, every battle comes down to fifty mm. plus one, and you know yeah. forty nine plus yeah. one. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It, 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 we did not we did not transform mm. politics to be kinder, gentler. Yeah. I know what you mean. Less yeah. confrontation. Now, 
if if we then go to say, you know, who was at fault, mm-hmm. I can give you a list of a bunch of reasons I don't really think mm-hmm. Obama was at fault, but right. I still, it kind of breaks my heart. That, that didn't, that, could have like, transformed the things. The night of Grant Park mm-hmm. that, that he wins the election, my wife and I are there, we're standing 20 feet from him, you know, on the stage, and it was an amazing night, wow. and it felt like, you know, as bad as the financial crisis is, as bad as all this stuff is happening, mm-hmm. maybe we can open a new door and do something different. And yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. And that's that's the, I find most disappointing. When Donald Trump came in, when, when he was first running, mm-hmm. there were people who said, well, it's Obama's fault. Obama gave us Trump. Mm-hmm. There is a sense in which I, right. I do think that's true, mm-hmm. that th- there is mm-hmm. this inevitable pendulum swing mm-hmm. and in reaction to Bush, mm-hmm. we elected Obama, and in, rela- in reaction to Obama, we elected Trump. I do sort of feel that and, way, and I do. So I do think there is something to that. And I don't want to be overly critical of either of the two presidents because I, I, um, I have admiration for anybody who seeks that office and, and and leads our country. So I don't. I want to make sure I've said what I thought on that. Yeah, because this is it's one. It's fair, the, and you were very, you yeah. were very fair. Yeah. I've heard a lot meaner. Yeah, th- th- things I, he didn't than that. put it this way. He didn't fix it. It certainly he existed. Did not fix that. Certainly, we can go back to President. I Clinton. would say, right. look, look, if you still, I think he's going to be remembered as the Democrats' Reagan, and they are going to point to that there was no depression mm-hmm. despite the massive mm-hmm. crisis that we experienced. That they put in Dodd-Frank and re-regulated the financial system and that they passed a, a massive expansion of health care coverage for millions of people in the United States. Those are going to be... Can, can we stay on that last one? Sure. I those thought, are going to be major era-making... Historians, whether mm-hmm. conservative or mm-hmm. liberal, are going to remember that as that first two years of the Obama administration were a period of massive right. doing, mm-hmm. like the first year of the Reagan administration, mm-hmm. like the first year of the Lyndon Johnson administration. Yeah, I certainly agree with you on the first point. No yeah. no question about it. The third point, though, and I wanted to ask you a on question about this anyway. Yeah. I thought when I asked you what he didn't get done or that you were disappointed yeah. in, that you were going to tell me that what he really wanted was probably universal health care or Medicare for all, but he just couldn't go there, so he sort of... You know, uh, Obamacare was sort of a compromise of what he assumed could probably get done realistically in that short window period of time. And and in that question, how do you feel about universal health care, Medicare for all as a program on its own? Well, I think the ACA is going to be remembered as um, as quite an important move. And I mean, the the number of people in the country losing insurance was rising by the millions every year mm-hmm. for for year after year the ACA's passed and millions of people get coverage i think it's a tremendous achievement it's one that many democratic presidents before tried to do and were not able to do mm-hmm. as part of the you know, i mean it came it came down to one vote right. so along the way they did have to get rid of things like they they, they started wanting a public option that it would be like a Medicare, you could choose Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were Democrats who said they can't support it. Right, if that's say, in there. All so these votes was, came out of Democrats. So votes. it was like, goodbye. Right. You know, right. that's not that's not going to be in there if right. the Democrats can't um, vote for it. So, um, so I am a little frustrated to see the 
critique from the left, let's call it, of Obamacare, that it's that it's like, oh, well, obviously we should have done five times more, right? Because that's a purely academic exercise. Yeah, but I think a lot everyone of, knows. And I don't want to get into everyone the weeds. Knows. I think a lot of people feel like it wasn't a very effective, uh, well done piece of legislation in terms of some of the things that were promised with about keeping your doctor that rates were going to be precipitously lower. However, mm. on my side, yeah. Um, or from my perspective, one of the great things about it is the idea that these pre-existing conditions um, are no they longer going to be an issue. I think that yes. that is a winner. And, and and I think that's right. And look, the step back from the politics mm-hmm. of the specific bill, the basic concept of what was going wrong in the insurance market, mm-hmm. everyone knows. And okay. that is, rather than like in every other business mm-hmm. where the companies are competing by getting better and faster mm-hmm. and cheaper. What was happening is the insurance companies were getting better at figuring out who was going to be expensive and dropping them Correct. and saying, we, we won't cover you. Right. You got pre-existing condition, whatever your, mm-hmm. your, you know, your dad had mm-hmm. terrible heart problems. Yep. You, you know, we, we're not going to yep. cover you. And the ACA fundamentally changes that. And that is an important I think that's the big issue. win for me. That's the big Some win. Some of the other things we and certainly look, disagree. There's details and, yeah. and what, uh, what about I'm Medicare sure for all, though, Austin? Okay, because so so now major so now, major so candidates now let's move to Medicare. Yeah. For, now let's move to the Medicare yeah. for all. Everything hinges on what does that mean? Okay. Okay. The Bernie Sanders version of Medicare for all is not Medicare. Okay, that's not what Medicare is. So, so that is all mental health. Right. Physical health, dental care, optical care mm. for free with no copay. Okay. Okay, that's what the that's what one version of Medicare for all is. That costs thirty trillion dollars, I think. And then the question is, could you save money? It is true if you look at single payer systems mm-hmm. around the world, they're way cheaper than the US system. Mm-hmm. So if you could get their costs while by doing that, mm-hmm. that would go a long way to paying for it. The only thing is there are a lot of things about the U.S. system that are not the same. You know, doctors are paid more. Yeah. We pay more for prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. We have a different lawsuit yeah. in the tort system. We, there's a lot of things are different. Um, and Medicare has a private option in it, the Medicare Advantage. Sure, sure. And it's not, everything is not free. It, does, it doesn't cover all of that. And so, you've paid into it for many, many years. And you have paid into it. Isn't that though, the biggest distinction? if you add up what you've paid into it, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Agreed. it doesn't nearly add, add up to, right. what, to what it costs. Right. But, but yes, you have paid into right. it. So, th- so that's why I say, to me, the, the phrase Medicare for all on the Bernie Sanders bill right. is, is a, it's a, mistitled. It's just a mistitled. That's not what Medicare is. Okay. Now- if you, I've, I was in favor when we did the ACA of having a public option, and I still favor it now. That is to say, there are subsidies in the ACA. If your income is middle income or, mm-hmm. or, or below middle income, you only pay a share of your income and you get a, you get a, a mm-hmm. subsidy. And if you use that subsidy to pay a the premium for Medicare, and you could just mm-hmm. buy, you know, like you went to an exchange, mm-hmm. and you could buy into Medicare just like you buy a private plan. 
I would be in favor of that. And actually, that's cheaper. That doesn't cost anything. That's actually cheaper than the system we have now. Um, in my world, you should be able to call that Medicare for all because okay. allowing anybody to buy into Medicare. Okay. But, you know, now now we're into the semantics okay. of, you know, fighting. Within the Democratic primary, everybody's going to fight about. Right. Well, no, that's Medicare for everyone. That's not Medicare for all. And it, I don't know. But you'd agree with me. If you went somewhere like Bernie's plan, middle tax, middle class people would be paying more in taxes at some point. I think so. They would have to. I think so. Now, so th- th- it, it is worth saying, if you want to call those middle class taxes premia, because in a way it's like yeah. you're paying taxes for premia, you do have to think about, well, if you wouldn't have to buy health insurance, yeah. you might isn't there be a, better isn't off. Isn't there a part of you that thinks like I do that, my gosh, like 70-something percent of the country at least is really happy with their health care? They get through their employer. They like their doctor. They like the plan. Right. They like how it works. Why? Why are we? Why is this such a significant topic? Why mess the, with that? The vast majority of people look at this stuff and go, "I really like my gig." Why are you people messing with this? I think and I wonder that's that. True. The only thing I will say is, a lot of people like their insurance, and nobody likes how much they have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And the prices go up each year. So, if by having a public option, let's mm-hmm. say it applied more competitive discipline so that prices did not rise as fast. I think a lot of people, that that's why that is right. a very popular thing. And maybe short term that's true, but historically every government program ends up lacking those disciplines long term, right? Yes yeah. and no. I would be a little careful now because okay. once you get into health, because of this cream skimming problem, right. it actually is the case that in most of the, unlike most industries, if you look at single-payer right. government-run plans, they tend to do better in I'm, other countries. I'm not necessarily ours. referring just to cost. I'm talking about efficiencies, too, and application of the health care. You ask people that live in Canada. I travel up, and up to Canada. There's a pro mixed bag up there about how they feel about what they get in terms of service, wait times for surgery, wait times for certain things like that. And I'm not there trying to be are, it's not but, a scare tactic. But, I'm telling but, you. But, I, I'm not disputing that right. people – look – everybody is fundamentally uncomfortable with the healthcare system because mm-hmm. we all get sick and we all die. Right. And so it's like being at hospitals mm-hmm. and we're prone to not like that system. It's not, if you look at Canada, it's dramatically lower cost. They have better life expectancies than us. And the Canadians, if you ask them, would you like to have the U.S. system, there's massive non-support. They do not want to well, switch to Well, a lot of the, my system. friends there that have their own means buy private plans because the they have private, so and bad. That's why I say, and by the in way, Medicare, we have private plans. I but if you, if you have in your mind right. that uh, government, a government yeah. option is socialism, yeah. I think you got to kind of Fair enough. F- f- figure out why is Medicare as popular as it is and why Social Security is popular mm-hmm. as it is. Okay. It's because universal coverage is in a way, the cheapest of all coverage. Okay, so let's put a bow on this, and we're almost done for everything. That whole, this whole discussion, if we just step back for a second, and this is, I mean this too, when, is there a point eventually where we're, the entitlement programs in general aren't always going to be the fix for things. In other words, how many of these can we have? Once yeah, the, look, once this, is, once this is done, Austin, and then what's the next big government program? Like, And I mean that from both sides, but it just seems as if there's one after the other after the other. Does there become a point where like the government can't fix all of these things all the time? Yeah, look. Th- this and have is a capitalist the, society. This is the 
this is the yin and yang or push and pull or something of modern capitalism, which is we're unbelievably productive compared to whatever. You're going to go right. back to 1500 or something. Right. You know, talk to the peasants and show them like, right. hey, look, you sure. know, I can drive to the corner right. and fill up my car with gas and right. drive. I got a phone to tell me where to go. Like, right. So we're massively productive. Mm-hmm. We have high incomes. But we have every rich country opts to have a safety net. Mm-hmm. And the safety net includes retirement security, mm-hmm. includes health healthcare security. We have unemployment insurance. We have food stamps. We have mandatory. If you walk in the emergency room, they got to treat you. Yeah. You know, so we got a bunch of, we got a, a quite a robust safety net. And one point of view of that safety net is it'd be like, well, how could we pay for that? Right. And shouldn't we skimp, skim it down? Mm-hmm. I kind of think the 500 years of history tell us it's it's almost the opposite. What makes us rich is we get more productive. And one of the things we buy with our wealth mm-hmm. is a safety net that we don't have to, mm-hmm. we don't have to, we either we ourselves don't have to go below or nobody in our society has to go. We're rich right. enough that, that nobody does that. So the, I think the answer is there's vastly, our capacity for safety net is vastly in excess of, of where it is. I mean, it doesn't mean that we have to, and that's not social, insurance is not socialism. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think that. I think what I, what I guess I'm referring to is, and what you said about we're vast, we're very productive. I think one of the reasons we're incredibly productive is because there's an incredible incentive still to be productive. And if these safety nets get bigger and bigger and bigger and percentage of income is taken greater and greater, if those incentives to be productive go away. And that's the very nature of a capitalist society is now that there's incentives to be productive. The, all I will say is be aware there are also some arguments on the other side that say the existence of a robust safety net actually enable people to start their own businesses and not be nervous. Like, ah, I just have to work for the man my whole life because mm-hmm. otherwise I can't get health insurance. Mm-hmm. If you can get health insurance on your own, you can go start some company, try it out, mm-hmm. and if it works or doesn't work, is on you. And the if if your worldview is that the thing that makes us innovative and entrepreneurial is the lack of taxes and the lack of regulation, mm-hmm. then I kind of think the puzzle you got to answer is what is the deal with California? Mm-hmm. where they've always had the highest taxes yep. and they've always had the highest regulation. Mm-hmm. And why is Silicon Valley there and not out on the island of Vanuatu where there's no taxes of any kind? Sure. And the answer is it's not that they go to Silicon Valley because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. They go there because they can't afford not to. Right. And if you cut the taxes so much that you can't invest in Mm-hmm. in education or your people, you've done a terrible disservice. And I'm sure you right. don't disagree with that. I don't disagree. And I, and I don't disagree right. 
that you could overtax and overregulate mm-hmm. your prosperity. There's no question about that. I do. Well, I don't, of course you I, could. I, I, having lived in California, by the way, I think a lot of the firms that end up out there is guys went to school in those areas more than anything because you could also argue that Microsoft ended up in the state of Washington and there's no income tax there, right? There's yeah, no that's state true. tax. So I think that's that true. might be more through circumstance than necessarily they went there to grow. Although those companies, you know, obviously have been there a long time. Having said that, though, I don't know. If, you know, I look at California as a state, and I'm concerned about what I see in our state. If you if you go into the cities of California, the homeless issues we have, and um, the the overpopulation issues in California, it's a really significant thing. And I know a lot of yes. entrepreneurs leaving that state because they feel yes. like there aren't incentives to stay there to start up new businesses. So that does happen, yeah. and, and that's what it. Look, you can definitely, and we can find mm-hmm. hundreds of examples mm-hmm. where. Government being too aggressive mm-hmm. in taxes and regulation and mm-hmm. whatever destroy the golden goose. Right. The question is, for example, now mm-hmm. is a tax rate going back up for high-income people to something that it absolutely has been many, many times mm-hmm. post World War II in the United States? Mm-hmm. Is that so extreme that it should be called socialism and it's going to destroy the no, American dream? No. I think Steve Moore or others are a little too, um, maybe it's doctrinaire, they're a little, a little too, they, it's, it's almost a religious conviction to them. And my thing is, hey, let's just go look at the data. Mm-hmm. It is not the case that, I don't want to have too many negatives in the yeah. sentence. It is true that we have had tax rates well in excess of the rates that we have now on high-income people. Mm -hmm. They've paid more, Mm -hmm. and we've been deeply innovative, and it certainly doesn't seem like these tax cuts for billionaires are magic beanstalk beans Mm -hmm. for anything. I mean, Bush cut cut them more than they've ever been cut, Mm -hmm. and we had measly growth followed by a real crisis. And now Donald Trump has cut him $2 trillion, and growth is barely, the second half of this year might not even get to 2%. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, that's not a magic wand. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have this type of discussion. Yeah. Because it hasn't been about who's, I said this to Stephen, President Clinton said something, I don't know that he believed it or not. He said, politics shouldn't be about, in fact, I don't think he believed it, but he, <laughs> said, he said, politics shouldn't be about who's good and bad, right. but about who's right and wrong. And I think the kind of discussions that we've right. had today, right. and obviously the discussions that I had with Stephen, help people at least think through some of these issues. And I wanted to have you on because I wanted to be able to challenge your perspective, like I did, Stephen. Yeah, and I would, I would have been disappointed if you didn't. Right. And uh, and look in in society, if you could even have one conversation, mm-hmm. civil conversation, mm-hmm. where you engage on ideas with people who who disagree. One thing about the University of Chicago is we've always had that. This was where Milton Friedman was from here. Which is Stephen's hero. Yes, it's Stephen's hero. And we've got behavioral economists like Mm -hmm. the guy Dick Thaler who just won the Nobel Prize. And we're in the same room having the in in higher education like in politics. Mm -hmm. That's gotten rarer and rarer that you will have people disagreeing. It works because fundamentally we all kind of love each other. You know what I mean, and so yeah. we're fighting about content. I'm not. I mean, it's we, not all just right. milk toast to happiness. Yeah. We are fighting about it, but we're not trying to kill each other. Yeah. We, we're family, and mm-hmm. so I hope I hope people can 
can do that more. I do too. Real quick, armchair uh, forecast here. Yeah, real we quick. got the armchair. Yeah, we got We're, it. By yeah. the way, there's armchair also forecast. Ben Bernanke's Fed chair sitting right over here too, yeah, which indeed is pretty it darn is. cool. Um, last question will be an easy yeah. answer. Uh-oh. If you had to predict right now, yeah. here we are many months out. Yeah. President Donald Trump is reelected or one of the Democrat, whoever it ends up being the nominee, ends up winning. You had to predict right now. Oh, Democrat or yep. Trump? Yep. I feel like Trump barely won mm-hmm. last time. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten less popular. So if the Democratic nominee is more likable, is a better candidate than Hillary Clinton, that Trump's in trouble. Okay. That's what I think. So so I actually, I don't know, not, not the vote share, but I mm-hmm. think probability of victory, 60-40 for the Democrats. I enjoyed the day. I did too. I really did. I really liked I, meeting you. I, I, I did too, and person. I appreciate the conversation yeah. so much. Everybody, now listen, for my audience, I don't want to be hearing that I was too hard on him, or not hard enough, or That's not nice not, enough. They're going to call, they're going to say, why did you have that right, Bozo right. on there? How, how come? But no, I doubt so, that. Ed is a good guy, and you know that. Don't hold it against <laughs> So him. is Austin. And so, guys, please, I'm, I'm trying to ask questions that are fair and down the middle. If you're a conservative, you feel like I didn't push him hard enough on different things, give me a break. And if you're a liberal, you feel like I pushed him too hard. I just tried to get the best answers I could out of Austin. So you could hear his perspective today, not mine. And I'm hoping between hearing both the conservative perspective from Stephen and the more liberal perspective from Austin, that it's just making you think about what each side has to stand for. And maybe it'll help you make some of the decisions you need to make as you vote and and as you move through your life and decide whether you're going to start a business or not start one. Stay at your career or not. And so thank you again, Austin, today. Well said. I want to remind you, every day on Instagram, we run the Max Out 2-Minute Drill. Every day when I post at 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern, you've got about two to five minutes to make a comment. If you do that or make a comment on people's comments or third, just comment every day on every post I make at the end of the week. We pick winners so I can engage with you. I read all of the comments, and it takes a long time. But you win, you know, max out gear, tickets to come see me speak, a ride on my jet possibly, coaching calls with some of my guests, coaching calls with me, all kinds of great stuff because I want to engage with you. So follow me on Instagram and participate in the Max Out 2-Minute Drill. God bless you. Max out. This is the Admired Show.